Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. How glorious a greeting the sun gives the mountains. John Muir. Because we're all, all three of us, all three of the hikers, we came back, we came from a background of doing the AT, the PCT, the CDT, what have you, so we're very much experienced, but as I said, that was like on-trail hiking, even the CDT, it essentially is on-trail hiking, most of it, but the trip that we did in the Sierra is absolutely not, so I, I think it was just to show people that like, yeah, these off-trail routes are there and they're fantastic, like we had some of these areas to ourselves, we didn't see other people for, you know, three or four days in certain sections, so it's fantastic, but you really got to work for it. You can't underestimate it. So I would just say to people, like, for example, if someone's done one of the long distance trails and they're interested in off-trail routes, you can't really approach it the same way that you do those on-trail on routes. It's just, it's a different animal. So it's epic and do recommend people go do stuff like that, but it's, it's you just got to be ready for it. I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, is this thing on? Hello? Hit it again. I think it's on now. <clears throat> Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, where each week, Doc will drag some colorful characters out of the woods to talk trail and type two fun. If you're aspiring hiker trash, or if you're just looking to understand the hiker trash in your life, look no further. So lace up those boots, gnaw on some jerky, and settle into your 20 mile pace as we fire up the podcast from somewhere deep in the backcountry. It's time to embrace the suck. We are stoked to partner with Garage Grown Gear on this episode of Hiker Trash Radio. Garage Grown Gear, or GGG for short, is your online store for all things ultralight backpacking. Dedicated to supporting the growth of small and cottage brands, they've got everything you need all in one place. From ultralight accessories to dehydrated meals to your big three, Garage Grown Gear has everything you need to lighten your load. 
Based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, GGG is known for its commitment to providing quality ultralight gear, stellar customer service, and free shipping and returns over $40. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirt bags, hiker trash, and of course, good smelling day hikers. I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, if you like what we're doing here, help us out. Take just a minute, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like it, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest. Through hiker, adventurer, and filmmaker, Paul Ingram. Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, Paul. How's it going? It's going well. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Excited to chat a little bit today. Absolutely. Now, I, I, I detect a little bit of a, a lilt in your voice. What? Uh, wh- where's that accent from? Uh, it's a good question, actually. Um, originally from just outside London, so about 30 minutes outside of London to the east. Um, but then, yeah, kind of in my early 20s, did a bunch of like long distance travel kind of all over the world. And that kind of kicked off the hiking stuff. Um, but now I've been living in Helsinki, Finland for about 10 years. And then, you know, plenty of hikes, plenty of travels in amongst that time. So my my accent at this point is kind of a, a bit of a mutz accent, you know? Yeah. But yeah, England's England's home originally. See, if you just said England to me, I would have I would have bought it hook, line, and sinker. I said, okay, that yep. yeah, that sounds like an English accent. But yeah. your your mates back home in England, do they they give you a hard time when they hear you talk? They because there's a little bit something different about uh, the way you speak. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially my two older brothers, like I'll go home and in Finland, they tend to have a bit more of like an American twang on things. So I'm saying stuff like gas and trash and stuff like that. And obviously a lot of hiking in the U S so my two older brothers don't let me, don't let me get away with that stuff too easily. All right. Hey, here on the podcast, we typically go by trail names. So doc is not on my paycheck. It's not uh, on my driver's license. I have to imagine Paul that with all the miles under your feet that you have picked up a a trail name along the way yeah yeah i was actually cheated a little bit um my trail name is pi um my initials are pi so you know paul ingram um and i had this great idea i was going to start a blog before i hiked the appalachian trail so i kind of created that and kind of thought about what i wanted it to be and i thought i was going to try and make it easy for americans when i introduced myself to say pi you know, hey, I'm Pi. I already had my trial name, you know, picked out for myself, which I know is a bit cheating. That's not really how it's meant to work. But then went out there, started introducing myself, and people were like Pi, Pi, Pi. So like my my idea of keeping it short and to the point, like just flew over everyone's head. I'm like, yeah, apple pie. You know, like apple pie, and they're like, oh, pie. So yeah, it took took a while, but it stuck. So I did get a little bit of stick for for picking my own name, but yeah, is what it is. So that's interesting. You went with with uh, apple pie instead of saying, you know, like the mathematical concept re- related to the uh, circumference of circles, pie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's P.I.E. is the trail name. Um, but, you know, most like, I was thinking, you know, because in the UK, it's meat pies, if you think of that or like, you know, something like that. But then I was like, if I say meat pie to an American, they're going to be even more confused. So, you know, apple pie doesn't get much more American than that. But still, they were like, they just didn't they didn't get it. Oh, I thought you, I thought you were going to go with your initials, P.I., you know, and, and maybe growing yeah. up, growing up with those initials, sometimes our names impact, you know, you know, what we what we mm. have, our personalities, whatever else. I thought maybe you had a mathematical bent to you because, you know, you had those initials growing up. That's the thing. Like if I'd have if I'd have left it as P.I., people are like, oh, you're a mathematician. You, do you like maths? I'm like, far. Absolutely not. No, <laughs> terrible at maths. Not interested in maths in the slightest. 
<laughs> not not private investigator, like Magnum PI. That would have been cool. Yeah. That would have been cool. Yeah. But you got the mustache for it, so there you go. That's true. Mysterious <laughs> mustache. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, for the rest of the podcast, it'll be Pi. Works for me. Okay. So, Pi, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast? I have. I listened to a couple of episodes, um, but didn't didn't dig real deep. I haven't got a lot of time for podcasts. As much as I would like to, a lot of the stuff I'm, I tend to be doing involves kind of a lot of focus and, and listening to a podcast on the side. Not really doable. I'm very much a one thing at a time kind of guy. So music in the background, maybe, but don't have enough time for podcasts, I'm afraid. No multitasking for Pi. Got it. Got it. I don't believe in it. I don't believe in multitasking, to be honest. It, okay, let's explore that a little bit. Why don't you believe in multitasking? I mean, it, it, it exists. It's a it's a popular thing. There's a lot of people who do a lot of things all at the same time. Yeah, I, I just I just would argue that if you're trying to do multiple things at the, t- the, the you know the same time, you're you're arguably not doing you know the best job that you could be on one particular thing. It's a little bit of a little bit of OCD, that's for sure. But yeah, I definitely just would prefer to try and just do one thing at a time like block out my day, for example, you know, a couple of hours on this, a couple of hours on that, because I am doing a bunch of different things. I just can't try and do them all at the same time. I just don't have the capacity up here. Well, I'll tell you what, that, that really is something great to hear from a, a podcast guest who's going to be spending the next 90 minutes with me. So, I mean, I know that you are solely focused on our conversation today. Yeah. Phones on silent, door shut. Yeah, I think we're good to go. Locked in, locked in. <laughs> hey, I only ask if you listen to the podcast because I want to make sure that you are aware of a segment that happens at the end of each episode called The mm-hmm. Hiking Hack. And that's where I will turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. Sounds good. I'm into it. Okay. And you are expected, of course, to uh, drop some trail wisdom throughout the episode, but uh, you will be on the hook for that one at the end. Oh, I'll save one back for the end then. That's right. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. Okay. Trailblazers Toolkit. That's right. It's time for the Trailblazers Toolkit, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. Now, Pi, I love to talk about gear on the podcast, and I love to hear about the most important item in my guest's adventure gear. So if you were preparing for your next adventure and I was the one providing you with all your gear, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? Give me all the specifics on that piece of gear and tell me why you have to have it out there. And this could be any type of item. It could be gear. It could be apparel. It could be a luxury item. So, Pi, mm-hmm. what is that item in your toolkit? Oh, it's a difficult one because there's obviously those things out there that you literally just cannot do without. Um but if I was to say one thing, like it would be easy for me to nowadays say my camera, for example, because the majority of trips I'm going on, I'm bringing that big camera, I'm bringing a lens, maybe two, you know, stuff like that. But if I really had to like boil it down, I think it would be the- uh, Thermarest Neo Air x Um, because I just can't, There's, I, in my opinion, there's just nothing else better than that and every you know few years they seem to update it i know they updated it fairly recently and i haven't managed to get my hand on the new one but you know it came out it was a little bit lighter it was way warmer less noisy um and i have slept on foam pads especially when i was younger but i just can't do it i think once you get used to like that you know air cushioning can't go back and i feel like all the other brands out there are trying to compete with the, the X light and they just don't seem to get it. Or if they get close, then, you know, they come out with the next one. So it's got to be good night's sleep. I'm, I'm not a great sleeper just in general, let alone out on the trail. So like that is, is a no brainer for me. 
Yeah, there is something to be said about getting a good night's sleep out there because, I mean, you're expending so much energy and you're, you're on repeat. Every single day you're doing you know, the same amount of exercise, same amount of miles, and uh, without that, that good night of sleep, it is tough to recharge. For sure, for sure. I'd have to do everything in my power to try and get a good night's sleep, whether that's at home or, you know, out on the trail. And that one's just, um, just got to do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to hear that they've made it a little bit less noisy because I had a, a buddy who had, I'm not sure if it was a neolite, but he mm. had some kind of sleeping pad out there. It sounded like a bag of potato chips every time he, he moved slightly. Yeah. It, it got to yeah, the point that to... I would wait until I, I saw where he was setting up his tent and I would, I would move as far away as possible. So I didn't have to yeah. listen to that. I'm like, I'm like that. Like I had the original one or, you know, whatever the one was current that was 10 years ago. And yeah, it was definitely pretty noisy, but my own sleeping pad wouldn't disturb me, but my buddy, you know, in the tent, just a few meters away, like he's same sleeping pad, same noise, but him moving woke me up, you know? So it's weird. It's weird yeah. like that. Yeah. Sleeping out there. And that is not a time to be multitasking. I want to be focused on sleeping and not listening to anybody else's noise 100%. out there. 100% earplugs, music, whatever you need to do. You know, knowing knowing your position on multitasking, I'm going to throw that in as much as possible during this episode. Yeah, I'm with it. I can I can I can dig into my nerdiness as much as you want me to. <laughs> nice. <laughs> hey, I love to talk about gear. We're going to continue talking about gear, and to help us with that, we've got it's the hiking pole. The hiking pole, and that's pole spelled with two L's. Not like the thing that you carry out there in your hands on the trail, but uh, like a survey. This is a seven-question survey that's going to help me give you a score on the sanity scale from one to 100, with Mm -hmm. one being completely insane and 100 being completely sane. Now, there is an automatic 25-point deduction for anybody who's done one of the American Long Trails. So, uh, Pi, your, your highest possible score today is 75. All right. Reasonable? Absolutely. <laughs> now, if I were to ask your friends and family, maybe your two older brothers, if I were to ask them, uh, hey, where, where does Pi fall on the sanity scale? Where do you think, where do you think they place you? Are we talking hiking sanity? Are we talking general, general sanity? What, what are we talking about? I think general sanity. General sanity, yeah. I'd, I'd say I'm pretty sane, but I would say that, you know, like we're, we're, we're it's based on the bubble that I, you know, move around in. I feel like I'm relatively sane. Yeah, I would say so. Fairly pragmatic. Okay. Well, there's there's a corollary to that question. Does does an insane person realize that he's insane? But now you'd have to ask them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I am. Oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm a bit weird. I'm a bit weird, but like, I'm real. Really, it's just the scale. That's right. It's it's all we're all on the spectrum somewhere. So absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So these these are seven questions, um, and it's not rapid fire. This is I want you to give me your response and then kind of uh, your reasoning behind the response. It'll help me kind of calculate the the final score here. All right. Okay. So question number one: What are the top three topics of conversation on the trail for you when you're out there and you you're hiking with somebody? What what are you guys talking about? Oh, it's a good question. I feel like it goes all over the place. You know, if it's like someone that I've hiked with a lot before, we're getting into really everything, talking about home life. And I always feel like it's this balance between reminiscing on stuff in the past, trying to, you know, be be focused and be in the, in the present and then planning for the future. You know, what might that like? Got to do this, got to do that. And then bouncing that off my kind of hiking partner. But if we get into specifics, uh, 
I would say food tends to be a big one, especially, you know, on a longer trip. You know, if it's a week, the hiker hunger doesn't really necessarily get up there super high, but much longer than that, you're talking about food, um, what you're going to eat when you get to town or, you know, what you're going to resupply on just to kind of mix things up as much as possible food-wise. So foods are definitely, definitely a big one. Um, if it's someone that I know pretty well, then it might be, you know, kind of like childhood stories or, you know, kind of getting to know that person a little bit. Um, and the third one, what gets talked about? Hmm. Nerd stuff. Yeah, I would say nerd stuff. I'm quite a nerd. I'm, I'm, I'm very much on the kind of sci-fi spectrum of the nerd, nerd scale. So if someone's into movies, someone's into sci-fi, someone's into to nerd stuff, then yeah, I can spend some time on that. Depends what it is though, because Lord of the Rings, like not interested sci-fi horror all that stuff yeah you can go deep on that stuff got it hey have you since you mentioned horror or sci-fi have you watched the the uh, series on netflix dark no no actually i haven't oh it is it is uh it is a mind-bending um really well done three season production of this town i think it's on the border of like uh russia and finland it just does a, uh, it, 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 there's some time travel involved and it's just really, really well done. It's very complicated. I had to, I had to like download a, uh, a chart of, you know, who was who because they, 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 the characters, depending on which time period you're looking at, I mean, they look similar, but I mean, there, there's, it, it's, it's like a web of people involved okay. in this. And so it is, re- it's probably the best series on Netflix if you're into that stuff. Sounds great. I feel like there's just so much good stuff out there. You know, I could spend, I could quite happily watch, you know, a little bit of, of a good TV show or a movie every night if I had time to, because it's, you know, one of my big, big passions is films and filmmaking. But yeah, I don't know about that one. And the fact that it's set on the Russian Finnish border is pretty, pretty appropriate. It's like that way. It's like pretty close actually where I'm from. So, or like in Helsinki, you're pretty close to the Russian border here. All right. Question number two, what is the best trail name you've encountered out there? it's <laughs> uh, a good one mm. we're still here folks he's he's just really yeah. he's really yeah, racking his I'm brain for that one him. i'm trying to ponder it because i'm trying to think that it's either like you know friends of mine that i'm kind of still in contact and then and, and looking at some of their trail names hmm You'll have to come back to me on that one. I'll have to stew on it a little bit. Okay. All right. We'll come back to question number two. Question number three, toilet paper, bidet, or leaves? Mm, Got to say toilet paper. I have a hard time moving away from it. Um, not actually experimented with bidets, and I can imagine, and yeah, it does its thing, but mm, doesn't seem super appealing to me. Uh, leaves? Mm, also not so much i have messed around a little bit with snow though like snow if you get you know a good 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 snowball um obviously a lot of snow in in, in finland here in the winter time and yeah it does it gets gets the job started i don't want to finish it that way but I, i'm always going to be toilet paper you know, and that's, then, you know depending on where you're at of course packing that toilet paper out if that's it's right if it's a product to do so but you know Hard to get away from that. That's right. I didn't realize there was a fourth option I needed to put on in that question. Snowball would be the, the like fourth option. That's that's straight Andrew Skirka stuff there. Like that's coming from him. And I was like skeptical. It's definitely refreshing, you know. Uh it'll 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 wake you up in the morning. But oh, that's hey, the job. Hey, if Skirka recommends it, I mean you have to do yeah. it. 
He's got, you got to at least try it if he recommends it, you know? Right, right. Now, some countries um, have a preference for bidets, not not just out on the trail, but, you know, in, mm-hmm. in their everyday lives. Is is uh, is Finland like that? I would say, at least, again, in my bubble, in my sphere, I don't think many people are using a bidet, but it is actually pretty common that you'll have that attached kind of to the, to the sink, and so it's an option for you, but uh, I don't mess with that. Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't think it's popular in the in the U.S. I mean, it, it, it's certainly not the majority of households having a, a bidet, and I, I think it's probably the same way in England. Yeah, yeah, about that. I would say it's very rare that you'd even see one in the U.K. Maybe in like a fancy hotel or something, but I'm not not spending so much time in those. So, all right, question number four: breakfast in camp, on trail, or no breakfast? Hundred percent in camp. 100%. I actually, uh, I don't eat breakfast at home, generally speaking, or I'll, I'll eat breakfast, but I'll eat, you know, around midday, I'll just do coffee for the first few hours when I'm working. Uh, but out on trail, it's like one of my favorite things. I like getting the day day started that way. And especially obviously out on trail, you're just so hungry all the time. Um, I tend to be an early riser and depending on who I'm hiking with, I'm probably the first one awake just naturally. So that's like one of my favorite parts of the day is kind of, you know, waking up, rolling over, looking outside the tent, checking out what's going on, seeing if anyone else is awake and making some coffee, making some breakfast, doing doing as much in the morning without leaving my sleeping bag as possible, you know, like packing everything else away. And that, that, that last thing is the sleeping pad and then obviously the tent. So got it. Mornings, all about cozy mornings for me. Makes, a lot, of, makes a lot of sense. All right. Question yeah. number five, solo hiking or tramley? Tramley, all the way. Um, I'm I'm fine with doing a one or two night trip alone. Like that's that's okay. I enjoy that just to get away from things. You know, maybe get away from the city for a couple of nights. But anything more than that, I, I want to be with people. Not necessarily, you know, people I know really well. It could be kind of a fairly unknown an unknown group of people. But yeah, I don't. I'm not a big solo hiker. It's never been my thing. Okay. Question number six: Rank the following in order of your preference. Severe uphill, severe downhill, roadwalk. Hmm. Preference, like most to least. Ah, I like them all and I hate them all. You know, it depends on the situation. Let's put it that way. Like sometimes it is just nice to do some roadwalking. If you've been, you know, doing crazy uphills and downhills or like, you know, a lot of roadwalks tend to be into town. Okay. That's not always the case, but you know, it's sometimes nice to not have to think about navigating. You're following the road. You're just kind of cruising, which is nice sometimes. But then if it's, you know, super hot, super drawn out, black tarmac with the sun beating down, that's no fun. Like a lot of that stuff on the CDT. Um, I'd say, um, downhill, usually fine. I've been fairly lucky with knees and stuff. So long drawn out downhills don't usually tend to bother me that much. So I'd say number one would be, yeah, of most desired would be downhill, then probably road walk. And then least desirable is like brutal uphill. Just, it's just hard. You know, it doesn't like you can do as much hiking as you want. It's, it's, it's always hard. Got it. Got it. All right. Question number seven. What's on your head? Ball cap, floppy hat, straw hat, sun hoodie, or no hat? Baseball cap all the way. 
I uh, I don't wear hats in in day to day life. Just never really have. Never really never really would join to them. But like on the trail, even if it's like a day hike or something, always a baseball cap. Uh, there's a few reasons for it. Mainly just because I like I don't want to have like a big floppy hat going on. Just not really my thing. But I do want to kind of keep the sun off my face to to some extent. And what I'll do is I'll actually have the baseball cap. If I'm kind of hiking towards the sun, baseball be cap on, be be regular. If it's in my back, I'll flip it round. Or anytime I'm pulling my camera up to my face or something like that, and it gets flipped round. So I'll be like moving it backwards and forwards like like a lot throughout the day. Um, but yeah, I think if I was like I'm I'm planning to do the PCT at some point in the future. Um, so I think, you know, if I do go south to north California, I probably will commit to like a big floppy hat just because that's brutal. You know, that that first like month or so in the desert, like pretty rough. Um, and I'm much more conscious of protecting my skin from the sun than I was back in the day. So, yeah, maybe, maybe then I'll do a floppy hat. But for now, baseball cap. Now, those Nobo hikes on those long trails you know, in, in the U.S., you'd have to wear the, the cap kind of uh, pointing to the right in the morning, right? And it just kind of it kind of adjusts all the way to the left side as the sun is yeah. setting. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes I think I'm just kind of, it just doesn't make sense. Maybe I should just throw on the big sun hat because I'm like moving it around in like increments throughout the day. But I just I can't get away from it. It's just Facebook cap. All right. Back to question number two, best trail name encountered. Um, Mm, it's really hard for me because I'm trying to think of some good ones, but like all the ones I can think of is people that are, you know, close to me. I'm just going to throw it out there because he's my like long-term hiking partner, Cheesebeard. You know, pretty straightforward one, fairly self-explanatory. He was like, I think he was eating mac and cheese on the Appalachian Trail in like the first week or two. Cheese in his beard, simple as that. And he had a beard. Yeah, he was pretty big at that point. It got bigger as he went on, but... Cheesebeard. Cheesebeard. That's one of the lesser known pirates from the Caribbean. Right. Blackbeard, yeah. redbeard, cheesebeard. He's a little, 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 fact, little yeah. more unsuccessful than, than the rest yeah. of them. Learn something new every day. Yeah. I oh, got it. Got it. All right. Hey, <laughs> sit back just a second. I need to do some math here. Uh, I got to make okay. sure my shoes are off. I know you hate math. Uh, you know, it's not my strong suit either. So uh, I say so I need to carry the three. We're going to divide by root five. We're going to multiply by pi. I thought you'd like that. Yeah. Multiply by pi. And yeah. we're going to make a slight adjustment for the intensity of your single-mindedness. And mm. I come up with a score of 57. Okay. So about midway on the insanity scale? About mid, ju just north of the midpoint. So yeah. I'd say that. I said I was fairly, you know, normal. Did, is that what I said? I can't remember. But yeah, <laughs> 57 sounds about right. All right. Now, Pi, before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit. We'd love to hear about your background. Where'd you grow up? What kinds of sports, sports and hobbies were you involved in as a kid? And how did you get involved in the thru-hiking cult? Mm, yeah, it's kind of a winding story, as I kind of already alluded to. But, yeah, I very much grew up in, like, a suburban setting in the outskirts of London. Obviously, London's, what, 10, 11 million people at this point. Um, and the area in which I grew up, essentially feels like oh, it is urban sprawl from London. So it's, you know, if you walked in, if you could walk in a straight line from my house to the centre of London, it's buildings, you know, industrial area all the way. There's not much, you know, green spaces. Um, I was like a scout when I was a kid. So I was in like the scouting movement, but that was up until, I don't know, maybe I was 11 or 12. So we did some, you know, a little bit of camping, maybe a little bit of hiking, but nothing, nothing much. Um, yeah, played 
um, team sports growing up, played a lot of rugby. My brothers were all about football, soccer. I was all about rugby. So I played rugby from about four years old until 18, 19 at like a, not a super high level, but you know, kind of a little bit, uh, club, club sports essentially. Um, and then yeah, kind of finished mandatory education in the UK, decided not to go straight to university. And I started working a suit and tie job in London. So I was doing like recruitment. I was this little punk kid, uh, recruiting for like investment banks and kind of started off at the, you know, lower end of the scale and kind of worked my way up over a course of about five years. And I just kind of like looked at myself and I looked at a lot of my colleagues around me at that point who were, you know, 10, 15 years older than I was. I was, you know, early twenties. I was like, I don't, I don't really want this. It doesn't really feel like me. Um, so basically, you know, squirreled away some money for about a year with the intention of going off and, and traveling and then maybe coming back, mixing it up, then maybe going to university, something like that. And kind of just never really went back. I, um, I went to work a summer camp in upstate New York. So there's like a big program in the UK called Camp America. And basically, you know, you sign up um, and you get a placement for a summer camp in, in the US. And that sounded fantastic to me. I was like, yeah, into it. Um, got this place. It was like a run of the mill, you know, middle of nowhere, by the lake, canoeing, rock climbing, all of this stuff that I hadn't really had that much experience doing. Um, and then I was part of the adventure program. So I was doing a lot of those kind of adventurous stuff. And we took the kids out on the Appalachian Trail for like, I think it was like a three or four night hike because it was fairly close by to the camp. Did this thing and I can't remember what time of year it would have been. It must have been like, I want to say like July, August time, something like that. And there was still a few through hikers, you know, coming through. And I had no idea it was an even, you know, a thing to like hike this crazy long trail. Like I think I'd heard of Bill Bryson's book, you know, like most people had, but got chatting to some of these people and that felt like, maybe that's something I want to do at some point. So kind of put it on the bucket list. Didn't really think much more of it. Um, went home, traveled a bit, met my now partner who lives, who I live with here in Finland. Um, went back to the summer camp the next year, kind of the same deal. And I was like, right now I'm broke. I'm going home. Um, home ended up then being Finland. So this was, you know, I was 24, 25 when I moved to Finland. And then, yeah, I just kind of kept coming back to this through hiking thing. And I've always enjoyed YouTube. I've always kind of watched YouTube since like really the early days. So I started watching people's vlogs and, you know, gear reviews and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, maybe I want to do this. So I kind of spoke to my partner and she was like 100% supportive of it. Again, saved up the money and went and did it. And kind of the rest is really history when it comes to, you know, hiking and adventure and that sort of stuff. So definitely didn't grow up doing super hardcore outdoorsy stuff, but kind of in my adult life it's become become a thing and i don't think it's something i'm ever really going to stop to be honest at this point and what uh, what inspired the move to helsinki I mean, that's that's a huge move from you know you know at a young age relatively young age mm. going from your your early 20s uh, moving mm. countries like that yeah well i'd like i've basically done the summer camp in the u.s and then went traveling around central america for a bit until the money ran out and i met her there we, we met in a hostel in mexico city just same hostel same time um and then yeah kind of got back to the uk didn't have a lot of money didn't have really a solid plan so i was like hey i'm gonna go visit helsinki for for a couple of weeks packed up a hiking backpack and and, and just never really left to be honest kind of like turned up started doing some work here then go off and travel a bit work a bit hike a bit that kind of vagabond lifestyle um 
and yeah, I don't don't see any plans to move away. That's that's been basically 2012, so whatever that's 11 years now. So it's a big move, and it doesn't come without its sacrifices, you know. But I feel like that's what life is all about, you know. If to do this one thing, you might not be able to do this other thing. So it's yeah, it's home. So is she from Helsinki? She is. Yeah, okay. She's finished. So so that's yeah. that that's the that's the catch right that's there. The, she's the one. you like, met you met in a hostel in Central America. Mexico City. Mexico yeah. City. Met in a hostel yeah, yeah, in yeah. Mexico City. What a story. What a story. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's, it's a fun one. It's a fun one. It, it's funny how your life can turn on certain moments. I mean, your adventure camp experience, your awareness yeah. of the AT, uh, mm-hmm. getting some additional experiences in, in different countries along that, that way, meeting up in a hostel in Mexico City, and now yeah. you're living your life in Helsinki, Finland. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a crazy, crazy thing. Just to think that I've gone from there to there. It's, it's, it's very unexpected kind of expecting myself to do the whole run of the mill things, go back to that office job or maybe go to university or whatever and settle for want of a better word, but hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Kind and of still, kind of still all over the place. And I, I love that concept of you uh, as a recruiter and all of a sudden <laughs> you're, you're looking around at your older colleagues and you're wondering, is this going to be me in 15 years? Is this going to be me in 30 yeah. years? And I think yeah. I think that's not only that's not only trail that's not trail wisdom that's life wisdom right there. Is that if mm-hmm. if, if you're you're in a job and you're not sure about it, take mm-hmm. a look at your older colleagues who have been doing it for for quite some time and see if if those are the kind of people you want to be when you're older. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. Yeah, yeah. I'm a firm believer in that. Like, you know. I, I would like to say I've lived a fairly privileged life and grew up in a you know a safe household where we you know we were never struggling money wise. But I would argue that almost anyone, almost anyone with any kind of background can shape their journey. We can't make, we can't decide everything, but I feel like we can make certain decisions in our life that will take us down one path versus the other. Um, and I'm just all about trying to you know figure out what what is. What one makes sense for me? What one sounds the most interesting whilst also having a relative amount of stability and, you know, calm in my life, for want of a better word. But, yeah, not to get all philosophical on you. Those are the best episodes where they're philosophical, so I appreciate that. Now, your your partner, is she also into hiking? Is she also a thru-hiker? She's not, no. She'll, She'll do a few days with me. Um, she's she's way in in some ways she's way more adventurous than me she's going to be the one that's suggesting to do this crazy trip too we've been to some pretty crazy places together but um hiking wise she'll do a week she'll do three four days something like that um but i think the idea of doing a, a much longer trip than that it doesn't appeal to her i personally believe she'd be very much into it because she's a she's a dirt bag without actually being a dirt bag and she'll she'll probably tell me off for saying that but she's she's not afraid to get in there and get in amongst things but i just don't think she she's into like the you know day after day hiking thing i don't uh, i think she'd love it but she doesn't think she would let's put it that way hi you are a thrill seeker calling your partner a dirtbag on a podcast yeah, well, i mean that is living yeah. on the edge right there buddy yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's fine we, we're good we're fine <laughs> <laughs> thanks just say that all right hey um so you're no longer a recruiter. What are you doing these days to pay the bills and pay for your adventures? Yeah, so the past, I want to say like the past, say, three years or so, it's been a, like an amalgamation of a bunch of different things. So I, I consider myself a filmmaker now. That's like my main my main thing. 
but then I'm doing a lot of other stuff alongside that to get a regular paycheck coming in. Um, so yeah, my first film came out, uh, well, it was, got put on YouTube, what, maybe like four or five weeks ago, I think now. Um, and that was a very long process from shooting and editing and what have you, and, and raise some money from some sponsors for that film. Um, but you know, it's not, it was, it was never going to be a paycheck for the amount of time that I put into it. But kind of because of that, it's led to my second film, which has funding and, and we got a grant to make the film. So that's like, you know, priority number one. But again, it's not a paycheck. Um, so then the main thing here in Helsinki I'm doing is like video production. And I'd like do social media content for a few brands here in, in Helsinki. And I'm also working uh, like a couple of shifts a week at like a really cool pizza restaurant. Um, so kind of that dirtbag thing, doing a bunch of different stuff. But main stuff is is filmmaking and then like video production for for small brands. Well, hey, if you're doing what you love and you get some free pizza out of the deal, I mean, that's that's, that's pretty right. dang good. Yeah, they mark himself as a pizza bar. So we have like, you know, really good, awesome craft beers on tap, super high-end pizza. Um, so yeah, got to be a bit careful because, you know, more than a couple of pizzas a, a week and a couple of beers, you know, a staff beer that adds up gotta definitely put the miles in and get to the gym to, to compensate for it but can't complain hey a pizza bar that that concept needs to uh, take hold here in the states right simple 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 concept um but just super fun kind of traditional rooted pizza but with a lot of kind of modern toppings and without getting too weird but just yeah good stuff good beers good pizza can't complain all right. Hey, we are going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from the advertisers, pay some bills. And when we come back, we're going to hear about some of your previous hikes, uh, the AT and the CDT most notably. And then I also want to spend some time talking about your films. So uh, listeners, stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, 
have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Through hiker owned Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. And welcome back. We're talking to Paul Ingram, a.k.a. Pie, and that's pie with an E, like apple pie, not like meat pie. No, no, it's different. It's a totally different thing. Yes. Sweet, sweet <laughs> versus savory. Exactly. I like both, but, you know, yeah. trying to keep it simple. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about uh, some of your previous adventures. Uh, you mentioned the AT, and the also, I think you also mentioned you did the CDT. And my first question right off the bat is, um, I always like to ask if someone has done the AT and the CDT, they've done two of the three American long trails. Is there a, is there pressure? Is there undue pressure to do that third one and become a triple crowner? Mm, I don't feel any pressure to do it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it as pressure. It's just more of a, a want and a desire more than anything else. Um, I, I have to say it didn't really work out it worked out this way without me intending it but i really love the way that it's gone i did the at first then the cdt because now yeah the pct of course is it's long it's brutal it's it's whatever but 
arguably the easier of the three, maybe the most epic. Um, so I'm not worried if I do it in, you know, two years time, five years time, 20 years time. Um, I'll just, I'll, I'll know when I know. Um, and I'm, I'm very much excited for it. So it will definitely happen, but, um, no, no, it doesn't feel like pressure. Just a want it's, it's there, you know, it's there in the back of my mind all the time. Got it. And I loved in the first segment where you talked about your awareness, becoming aware of the, the AT for the first time. And that's always a very interesting, uh, uh, concept moment um, angle for me is when do people first become aware of these amazingly long trails that cover multiple states and in the case of the CDT and the PCT going all the way from Mexico to Canada the mm. fact that you're able to put foot to path uh, a continuous path all the way to cover that distance is just mind-boggling and so I love the way you put that uh, a lot of people talk about the first time they saw a through hiker and they're like who, who is this? What are they doing? And why, why do they look like that? And they, they talk to them and, and all of a sudden realize that this is, this is a thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a wild thing because like, you know, like I said, growing up on the outskirts of London, I wasn't aware that you could spend that extended period of time out in the woods, you know, and, and let alone, you know, not retrace your steps. It's literally here to here without seeing the same thing twice. Like that's bananas to me. And it still kind of is now, if you take a step back from it and you think about it, it's like, six months of hiking four months five months depending on you know the trail it's a wild it's a wild thing but i think once you've done a couple of course your perspective change you, it may, you know your perspective changes once you've actually done it but it would be really interesting to go back to that you know few days where i was like oh like this is a thing and then maybe i googled it or whatever and i was like wait what people do this like it'd be really interesting but now i can't can't really remember it it just feels somewhat like normal to me now you know it's an yeah. interesting thing. Yeah, and I've talked to people who became aware of it and were like doing it in the next three months. You know, mm, next, yeah. you know three months after finding out about it, they're on the trail. And I've, I've talked to other people who, who found out about it and it festered in their mind for 15 years. And mm. then they said, I'm, I've got to do this. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's interesting to tell someone about it has no frame of reference of what it's all about because it's this, like, such a broad range of responses that you get like you get the one person who's like they're really leaning in and they want to know more of that but how does this work and how do you do that and where do you get food you know they really ask those questions and then some people you tell and it's either like they don't really understand what you mean or they really don't care or they think you're crazy you know it's like a big spectrum from one to the other but of course it's fun to talk to people about it they're actually interested like not that they even necessarily might do it one day but just that they're like wait what like I want to learn, I, I enjoy learning new things. So if someone tells me about something they did, I don't necessarily want to do it myself, but like, I want to hear about that. I want to know about this. Like, give me more, you know? Right. Right. Now yeah. you, you talked about uh, finding out about it. You did your research. You went down the YouTube rabbit hole and, and uh, mm -hmm. found out about this kind of stuff. What were your expectations going into the AT, the start of the AT back in 2015? Mm. That was, a, that was an interesting one because I actually, I went like really, I wouldn't say I went overboard on the planning and the prepping, but I definitely, I went deep. Like I went really deep. And that was like, you know, I remember watching Redbeard, Redbeard hiking the AT. I guess he did it in 2014. So I was watching his vlogs. I was checking out all the gear he was using. So I was pretty dialed in and ready to go where I feel like quite many people, you know, never done a long trail before. And especially starting out on the AT, you see some, you see some wild stuff, some people that, don't really know what they're getting themselves into, do not have the right set of equipment. Um, so I was actually in that way, I was super prepared, but 
Paul, um, Paul, I'm not surprised. I mean, you are you are single minded when when it comes yeah. to the, anything. So kind you, you, you like, did your like research, got dialed stuff. in. Yeah, I like to leave some stuff to the imagination. So I wasn't so much looking at you know like where does the trail go? Where am I going to resupply? I wasn't so much looking at that because I wanted to kind of go into that with you know just to like discover it. Like I definitely yeah obviously read. Um, walk in the woods like the bill bryson book but that's not super specific it's very much like big picture concept stuff um but gear wise i was ready i knew what i was going to be eating and of course that changed you know after a couple of months i switched some gear out and some food stuff but yeah and then since then all my other trips maybe there's been more logistical planning in terms of like where's the resupply you know where am i going to send a box to what specific gear do i need for this section versus that section i still do kind of like to leave it pretty open i don't really want to know what i'm getting myself into too much because it takes some of the fun away to me you know i want to i want it to still feel like an adventure not this like trip that i've planned out on a spreadsheet like that's uh, ruins it a little bit you know i don't want to be too prepared Got it. Got it. Now, how light were you going into the AT in 2015? What was your base weight? It's funny. My pack weight has consistently got heavier since the Appalachian Trail, which is wild, right? Who does that? Like, I think my pack, I don't, I don't know. I say my pack was like 12 pounds, you know, without, you know, food and water for the AT. I was pretty dialed in. I was like, you know, I had all the right gear, basically. Didn't drop much off. Ditched a couple of things, you know, ditched my Kindle after like a couple of weeks and some stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's just progressively got heavier, mainly just camera gear nowadays. It's like, you know, my base weight's probably, I don't know, somewhere between 10 and 15 pounds without all the camera gear. But depending on the trip, like that will double, like literally double. Like my Scotland base, like, base weight for the trip we've just done recently is double, is double like, 24 pound base weight 12 of which is camera gear you know it's wild yeah i mean if you start recommend that definitely don't recommend people do that (laughs) if you start off with a 12 pound base weight on your first major through hike Mm -hmm. like that i mean there's not there's not much room to go go further there's not yeah no i mean i probably could have gone 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 lighter but i had you know like essentially a tarp tent without leaving with a floor actually from six million designs i still got that tent still love that so it's basically you know it's a tarp with the bug mesh that kind of curls under um, but no floor i just had a little piece of tyvek and you know i love that i still love that tent it's a great option i don't know if they're still making it actually now pi pi if you mention one of our sponsors uh, naturally mm-hmm. during the conversation your yeah. score automatically goes up five points so now you're up to 62 so good work there yeah awesome yeah cool <laughs> cool all right so how how long were you on the at what was your duration of the trip six months ten days Okay. March 5th to September 15th, if I remember right. And I'm pretty sure I remember right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't now, think I'll forget that. Now, a number of zeros or neros? A bunch. A whole bunch. Uh, don't remember exactly how many, but it was a lot. It was a lot. We definitely fell in with a fun group of people. Um, and it definitely fell into a few uh, drinks in town and then an unexpected zero the next day, maybe another one the day after. So it was, it was very... Um, slow and steady kind of wins the race but i just i had a blast and it's like the approach that i ended up taking on that trip is now very different from how i approach trips like my mentality what i want to get out of it all that sort of thing 
Um, but yeah, I love, I had such a good time, met some lifelong friends that, you know, create some memories that I'll never forget. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything. It wouldn't change it, but I would do it differently if I was do it, to do it again, if that makes sense. Yeah. Let's talk about that mental approach. So slow and steady, yeah. uh, wins the race. As you said, you had a lot of fun on that trip, took your time, didn't feel yeah. like you were in a, a, a time crunch at all. How, how mm. has your mental approach changed since then? Um, there's a lot of different factors involved, um, for, for better and for worse, like a lot of hikes that I'm going on now are on some level work related. Um, so I'm thinking about that a little bit in the back of my head, whether that be shooting, you know, photography, shooting videos, um, whether I'm doing like a vlog style project or like a, a, you know, a more fully fledged film project. Um, so that's definitely obviously coming into my mind quite a bit. Um, definitely less boozing. I was, I was, I was drinking a good bit of alcohol, you know, as I said, I grew up on the outskirts of London. So, you know, that was definitely a strong thing in my kind of late teens, early twenties. And that kind of overlapped onto the AT. So again, had a lot of fun, but wouldn't do it that way. You know, now I'll have a beer in town, like, you know, just with some food or whatever, but don't, you know, not partying hard like I was in the AT. Let's put it that way. Um, Happy to happier to do longer days, you know, wake up early, hike all day, get some good miles done and kind of roll into camp as it's getting dark, spend an hour in camp and get to bed and just get it up and, you know, get up and get on with it again the next day. Whereas back then it was more, much more free flow, just, you know, what does everyone feel like doing? Yeah, sounds good. Let's do that. Whereas now it's a little bit more, you know, structured. Let's put it that way. Yes. Yeah. It happens to all of us as we get older. That, uh, mm, yeah, you got so. to back off the throttle a little bit. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I'm pretty sure if it wasn't for all those, you know, zeros and, and stuff like that, I'd probably done the AT in five months, you know, as opposed to six. Wouldn't change it. But yeah, it's just just different. I was young. I was 20. It was 23 when I did that, you know, just a baby. No, just right? a baby. Yep. No, wait. no, not 23, 25, whatever. Okay. Yeah, younger. Not a baby. Okay. <laughs> younger, <laughs> younger. <laughs> All right, so you go from the the town adjacent trail of the AT in 2015 to the CDT in 2017. Now, some parts of the CDT you, you are nowhere near a town. You're out in the middle of nowhere, and so talk, talk about you know the different feel of uh, those two trails. Mm, massively, massively different, and you know if I was picked going to pick one to do again, hundred percent CDT. I would, I would actually now it's, you know, 2017, I did that. So that's six years ago. I'd do it again. Like I'd a hundred percent do it, do it again. Probably not, you know, before the PCT, for example, but like I, I, the CDT really the way, like the AT, I fell in love with hiking the CDT. I fell in love with nature and views and just the epicness because it's just wild like the variation on the cdt is insane you know you pass through all these different areas um and you know being from the uk we just don't have that variability um whereas the at it's cool i had a good time but it's very samey you know there's some there's some specific areas that stand out you know like the whites certain parts of maine that are really epic and cool but the cdt is just passing through all this wild wild stuff um, obviously, yeah, you're much, much more out there. Um, we had kind of a, probably a bit of a different CDT than CDT experience than many people because we were a pretty big group. Um, we started out with like, I think there was 10 of us that started out together and a few people kind of trickled off. Um, that was 
that's a whole maybe a whole another story for another time but we were working on a film project that was very messy and complicated and never really came to be um but that probably changed my cdt experience to a point but yeah it's it's just different you know you're just so far away from things a lot of the time and it's it's much more brutal and the brutality feels like it changes depending on where you're at so but love that that was such a good trip yeah, that was very poetic, the way you put that, that you fell in love with hiking on the AT and then fell in love with nature on the CDT. Yeah, yeah, Matt, it's, it's, that's how it feels. It's definitely how it feels, yeah. Yeah, now the AT is also known as the Green Tunnel, which kind of uh, reflects what, what you were saying there, that it, it kind of is, there's, there's a lot of it, it feels the same, right? There's, yeah. But with mm. the CDT, and I know you haven't done the PCT, but um, I've talked to a number of, people who, number of people who have done the PCT, they have different mm. personalities based on where you are on the trail. I mean, it, with the CDT, cool. New Mexico, very, very different than, say, the the San Juans and uh, later on, you know, Montana. I mean, the huge, mm-hmm. huge differences. Yeah, and that, that creates, you know, some separation, right? If it's not, if, if it's changing every week or couple of weeks or three weeks or whatever, that helps you kind of mentally break up, you know, this was that and that was that and that had that kind of uh, color palette like New Mexico, we finished in New Mexico. So we went, went so, so both. And I'd never really hiked in the desert that much. And so like the colors and the sunsets and the early mornings in the desert down in New Mexico is some of the best stuff I've ever seen still to this point, still to this day, I would say. Yeah. yeah there, there, stuff. there are some through hikers I've talked to. They, they swear that the best part of any hike is the desert portion of the hike. Mm. That they have just fallen in love with the desert and it really caught them by surprise. Right. And that's why, you know, the PCT also is very exciting. And then some other crazy, 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 the Hey Duke and stuff like that. I'm like, mm, kind of adding stuff to the list slowly, slowly. Now, why why southbound on the CDT? Uh, I think it was actually a timing thing. Because we were a bigger group and we had this whole thing going on, um, it just was easier for us to stay light, uh, start later in the year, which means going sobo, essentially. It was that. Got it. Now, are you familiar with Type 2 Fun? Oh, yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> Did you encounter any Type 2 Fun on either the AT or the CDT? Uh, yeah, um, for sure. And they looked quite different depending, you know, where you're at and what you were doing. I have to say with the AT, um, the humidity is just a killer, like just an absolute killer. Again, obviously being from the UK, humidity never becomes an issue. Even in the hottest days in the summer, it's, you know, it's dry. Um, and I'd been to Florida as a kid, you know, Disneyland and Disney World or whatever, but the humidity and how long it lasted, once it actually warmed up, you know, we got out of kind of spring and, and winter down in the south and then kept moving northbound, like that humidity, when it's like whatever it was, 80 degrees, 90 degrees and 100% humidity, just gross, like absolutely disgusting. Like, why am I doing this? Like my hiking clothes are completely soaked, but not because of rain, because of sweat. And now I'm like climbing in my tent. Yeah, I'm putting some dry clothes on, but I have to put wet clothes on in the morning. That isn't rain; it's sweat. Like that's that's rough. Like that's not fun. I don't, that's my like least favorite thing um, about the AT. But then something like the CDT, it's you know more type two fun. Where you know up high in Colorado, you're up high for you know three four hours, and it's the afternoon. Every afternoon, brutal, you know, thunder lightning strikes, pinging off the peaks all around you, and there's nothing you can do. You got to keep going and get down. Uh, it's scary. That's that's you know much scarier, but also more rewarding. I would argue. Um, 
and then yeah type 2 fun it's definitely it's definitely a thing you've got to be ready to just you know accept that it's, it's going to happen um but it's nice if there's rewards for it as well you know views and stuff that really helps yeah nothing like standing at fourteen thousand feet with thunder and lightning and two metal poles in your hands yeah right it's rough scary yeah it helps when you have people around you because you know you're able to laugh about it but you're you know you're laughing in fear whereas if you're on your own you're just scared is my 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 imagination yeah and you talked about the planning portion and doing you know thinking about logistics for each mm. hike and i know that some people think uh, you know they can plan for everything but uh it's like what's the quote from mike tyson everybody has a has a game plan until they get punched in the nose all right. Yeah. There's some, th- there's some stuff you just can't plan for, you know, you just can't plan for that. You can, you know, you can do your best. You can try and make sure you've got the right gear, the appropriate gear to, you know, compensate for this and this, but you can't, you can't predict nature, you know? Yeah. If, if there is a day hiker or a section hiker out there listening and they're, they're thinking about doing say the AT or the CDT, what, what advice would you give them um, in, in terms of their preparation? I would say just don't underestimate it because I feel like so many people, they, they, um, I say so many people, maybe that's not fair, but I've seen people that they're really excited about it. They want to go do it. The adventure sounds cool, whatever. And maybe they shoot themselves a little bit in the foot by not just doing that extra little bit of preparation, whether that be, you know, hitting the treadmill for a few months before you get out there putting on a backpack, going for a walk around, you know, your neighborhood with a loaded backpack, all these little things, which in the grand scheme of life, grand scheme of things, I'm going to, you know, you're either going to get out there and you're going to succeed or you're not. But I feel like a little bit of due diligence and working on getting your pack weight, you know, doesn't need to be ridiculously low. In fact, it shouldn't be, it should be appropriately low and not more, but that stuff does make a difference. And, you know, if you've got a sleeping bag that you've had for 20, 20 years, but it weighs, you know, four or five pounds, like if you can save up, even if you have to wait a year to do it, save up and get the lighter weight gear that's going to do the same job as that old heavy sleeping bag, because it does, you can't say it doesn't make a difference because the amount of people that drop out on a through hike in the first month or so from an injury, from a knee, from a this, from a that, like you can't obviously necessarily say, oh, well, if their pack was lighter, they would have been okay. But, surely that helps right like being in decent shape and having a lighter weight pack it i I think it matters i think it does matter yeah yeah i think you're exactly right do do your prep i would say good advice um some trail wisdom there you're still on the hook for a hiking hack later on but the uh the uh i think the completion rate for the for the majority of the american long trails is like 25 percent, 20 to 25 percent and so if you are serious about uh doing one of those and, and being successful, try and set yourself up uh, in the best way possible. Uh, dial in that gear. Give Like you said, it may not make the difference, but it's certainly not going to, not going to hurt. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's only so much you can do, but do the things that you can control, you know, like control the things that you can't, you can't control everything. So just do what you can. Okay. Now you have also spent some time in the Sierras. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And so talk about that. It, it, you've, you've approached the uh, Sierra high routes, right? You, there are a number of yeah. high routes that go through the Sierras and you've spent some time there. And this might actually be a good segue to um, your, your first film, The Range of Light. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot going, a lot going on there when we talk about the, the Sierra trip. But 
Um, essentially, that was what it was it 2019. Wasn't planning on hiking, but my good buddy Cheesebeard, who I mentioned earlier, him and our mutual friend Sonic was going to go out and they were going to do some stuff in the Sierra. And he asked me if I wanted to come. I was like, no, I don't really have the money. I'm not really planning on doing any crazy hiking this year. But as he kind of kept talking about the trip, that it was upcoming and upcoming, I kind of was like, I think we need to go do this. You know, like just digged into my savings a little bit and, and, and went and did it. But yeah, we don't, we don't know this, but we don't know if anyone else has, has, has linked together the routes that we've done before. It's not super well documented, but we did the Kings Canyon High Basin route, which is a Andrew Skirka route. We linked um, from there. We did the High Sierra Trail, which is obviously, you know, comparable to the JMT. From that, we jumped on the Southern Sierra Highway route, which was put together by Alan Dixon. Um, and then from there, we did the Sierra High route, which is like, you know, the original OG high route in the Sierras. So that was like over 400 miles over the course of about 30, was it like 32 days, something like that. But uh, it doesn't, that doesn't really do it justice because it's not 400 miles, you know, on trail. Like the majority of that is off trail, like super steep up, super steep downs, moving through talus fields, navigating, like actual navigating. Yeah, like we didn't have to use map and compass, but, you know, full on GPS. Okay, we're going this way as opposed to the long trails. You, you know, you're just cruising along on trail. It might be steep, but you're on trail the whole time. Um, that was the hardest thing I've ever done um, because it's just this really intense 30 days of like really hard hiking um lots of challenges along the way um but yeah i um i, I filmed the whole thing um and i from the beginning i'd, I'd intended to make it a, a feature length film which has now become the range of light um so yeah filmed that interviewed some people along the way and, and did some pickup interviews met with andrew skirker and some other people um, who were in the film and yeah, basically got home, you know, went back to kind of work in a day job and was editing that in the meantime, in my sort of free time and yeah, kind of COVID kicked in. So that kind of slowed things down for, for, for everyone, but it actually became something that through COVID I kind of turned to, it felt like I had, you know, a purpose. I could sit in front of my computer and, and, you know, spend a couple of hours a day or whatever editing that first time ever trying to, to to do something on that scale and pulled in some you know sponsorship money from 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 a lot of the outdoor community and stuff like that and yeah finished the film it's very easy now to look back at it and be like hey like i'm very proud of it and i learned so much from that experience but i watch the film now and be like ah i do that differently i do that differently um but yeah fantastic learning experience um it was in the festival circuit for about a year um, got into like six or seven film festivals and now it's up on YouTube since about four or five uh, weeks ago and it's doing doing pretty well on there pretty good um, overall response on it so yeah and it's led to you know where I'm at now so no complaints but that's the era trip like never done anything as hard as that I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, wouldn't do that again let's put it like that not one after the other after the other like that it was it was rough wow was that's rough. that's saying something for somebody who was uh, who did the AT and the CDT saying that hey mm. this this uh, 400 mile trip in the Sierra is is something that is just not doing yeah. that again it's just different you know that off trail travel and you know you know the Sierra so you know like some of those passes it's really loose you know you're moving on talus the talus is moving around underneath you and then you just come straight back down the other side you know you hike through a valley for a bit but then you're going straight up the next one so it was 
the big thing about like the CDT, for example, yeah, you're doing some of that stuff, but it'll be, you know, you'll have that for a few days, then you might have a kind of more relaxed few days and then you're doing it again. Whereas that was just all hard all the time, like wake up multiple passes a day, you know, three or four passes a day, every day for 30, 30 days, basically. Apart from the high Sierra trail, obviously that was, you know, more calm, but yeah. Rough. That that is that is a good way to put it. I mean, uh, the 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 long trails. There are certain time periods where there is uh, big challenges, but it sounds like mm-hmm. with the uh, the multiple high routes, um, yeah. the, the, the the challenge never backs off. It's it, the intensity uh, is is high the entire time. Good amount of risk as well because you are like you know the Sierra is quite remote. Like if you're in this certain areas, it's pretty remote. So you know. We all fell multiple times on this talus, banged an elbow, banged a knee. That could be a broken ankle. It could be a broken leg. So, you know, it was, it was definitely, definitely challenging. Uh, yeah. You can, and you can see that in the film, you know, I was trying to be as real as I could in, in the film. And one of the criticisms that I've had on YouTube for the film is that, ah, oh, like just whinging, you know, you guys are just whinging. You should be grateful to be out there. And of course, like we were grateful to be out there and we all enjoyed that experience, but it's type two fun. Like in the moment it was miserable. And I was like fully showing that because I think like, if you make this like beautiful cinematic vlog of these really challenging places, you're not doing it. You're not, you're not helping anyone because then someone who's maybe less prepared for it thinks it's going to be this, you know, epic walk in the park and they get out there and they're, you know, they're not prepared for it, you know? So I think you've got to strike the balance between whinging and complaining about it, but also being real and like being like, this was really hard. Like we were scared a lot of the time. Yeah. There's no satisfying people out there. There's, there's going to be critics no matter what. I talked to Nicola uh, Horvat who goes by the trail named Tesla. He did. Yeah, yeah. Why do it? Why do I hike? And then he followed it up with why do I hike too? Um, yep. He followed it up because uh, he got so much criticism for his first one because it was like, Oh, it's all sunshine, sunshine and rainbows out there. There's no, you don't, you don't show the hard side of hiking. And then he shows the hard side and people are like, all, all you're doing is complaining. I mean, you can't, you can't win. Uh-huh. And then the thing is, I think that anyone that's attempted any kind of, you know, more challenging hike, whether it be a three day or, a th- you know, six month, if they watch the film, then they'll be like, ah, yeah, they were clearly having fun in that day. But then two hours later, it was awful because that's the nature of these things. Like it's not awesome all the time, like far from it. But that's also type two fun. Like when you get back home, you're like, that was sick. <laughs> It's, it's, yeah, you can't please everyone. It's YouTube at the end of the day. So I, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of how that film came out. So now the title, The Range of Light, obviously comes from the uh, Sierra photographer Ansel Adams. Yep. Yep. And the reference, obviously, that John Muir made to it back in the day. Mm-hmm. So it is just like it's, there's nowhere else like it that I've been. Just the colors in the Sierra when it's that orange kind of golden hour, it's wild. Yes. Wild. Agreed. Agreed. Well, congratulations on completing that and the the reception it is it has uh, received and uh, being on the on the, the the film festival circuit. That's awesome. Uh, what what are the main takeaways you want people to walk away with this? Um, hmm, there's a lot in there. And when I originally like set out to make the film, I had a bunch of different ideas, and you know, was planning on cramming it all in there, but I had to strip certain elements away. But um, Hmm. because we're all, all three of us, all three of the hikers, we came back, we came from a background of doing the AT, the PCT, the CDT, what have you. So very much experienced. But as I said, that was like on trail hiking, even the CDT, it 
essentially is on trail hiking most of it um but the, the trip that we did in the sierra is absolutely not so I, I think it was just to show people that like yeah these off-trail routes are there and they're fantastic like we had some of these areas to ourselves we didn't see other people for you know three or four days in certain sections so it's fantastic but you really got to work for it you can't underestimate it um so I would just say to people, like, for example, if someone's done one of the long distance trails and they're interested in off trail routes, like you can, you can't really approach it the same way that you do those on, on trail routes. It's just, it's a different animal. Um, so it's epic and do recommend people go do stuff like that, but it's, it's, it's you just gotta be ready for it. I would say. Yeah. And what, what kinds of, uh, environmental threats are these places facing? Or maybe mm. not environmental, but also uh, you know threats from from the populace. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's one of those you know swings and roundabouts. I don't know if that's a saying in the U.S., but you know you get one thing and that affects everything else. So, for example, you know there's a reason that people go do the existing long distance trails because they're fantastic. They are approachable. Yeah, you need to know what you're doing, but they are approachable for the average person. Um, whereas some of these high routes, they're not you can't, like not everyone can do it. Like you need to be ready for it. Like I was saying, but um, your um, the more people that are on these long distance trails, the AT, the CDT, the PCT, that's fantastic. Of course, I'm like very much about encouraging people to get out and have adventures and and, and use their body and move in nature. Like that's that's what it's all about. But you just there's so many people doing it, you know, even compared to when I did it, there's so many more people going out every year and that has effects. Like you can see it like certain sections on the AT, even when I did it, it was like, you know, quite a lot of trash. People don't know how to poop in the back country, like all of these things. So getting out on these off trail routes, you know, that's, there's less of that, but then making a film about it and showing those places you're, you know, inadvertently encouraging people to go out. But, I feel like guess what I'm trying to say is that trying to not everyone do the same trails all the time, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, however many people are trying to do these every year, but to look what else is out there, but do it in a responsible manner, wherever you're going, you know, basic leave no trace principles. Um, I would like to think that everyone that attempts something like that knows the leave no trace principles, but evidently not because uh, you do see some crazy stuff out there, but, yeah, I think human human impact and uh, uh, Andrew Skirka says it in the film that it's like the social media impact. You know, I make a film about this trip that we did. Someone watches that, like, hey, I want to go do that, and all of a sudden there's an influx of people in those areas, positive and negative. But yeah, just the human impact. I think obviously there's a huge amount of environmental impact in these places, but that's that's the that's the next film. So. Well said. Well said. And again, you're doing my segues for me. Uh, let's talk about the next film briefly. Um, so you, 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 you cut your teeth with the range of light. You look back on it and say, Hey, I, you know, maybe I should have done this a little bit differently. You know, maybe next time I'll, I'll, I'll do, do it this way. So tell us a little bit about seasons lost. Yeah. So I'll try and keep it somewhat brief, but like with anything like this, there's, you know, a long winding ro like road to get you to where you're at. But finished that whole project and that was just all me you know i brought in a team to help out with music and stuff like that but that was that was all me like that was all my work um connected with an old friend that i went to uh, high school with in an at a wedding last year back in the uk she's a filmmaker and a teacher at a, a film school in the uk and we, you know she'd seen the film and we talked about filmmaking we're like oh, let's make a film together one day and her background is more like narrative film 
as opposed to documentary style stuff. And then I uh, got an email in my like an email newsletter from Kendall Mountain Festival, which is the biggest um, outdoor adventure film festival in the UK, saying grant applications, you know, make a 30 minute short film, get X amount of money. It's in, in, in partnership with RAB, the UK outdoor brand kind of forwarded the email to her and she's like, yeah, let's do it. And she's got a very traditional background. You know, she went to film school. I didn't. Um, so we put together this pitch and a packet and what have you sent it off. Didn't expect to hear anything back. Um, then about a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call saying you've been accepted. Like, congratulations, you got the grant. So there's, you know, money behind the project and everything. So it's like, right, we've got to do the thing now. Like we've, we've actually got to do it. So a lot of other plans had to change. Um, but essentially, um, I just got back from Scotland, uh, the second trip, we were there in February and we were there in June and it's a 30 minute short film called, called Seasons Lost. And we're basically exploring what's happening with the seasons in the UK. And you could say, you know, in the big picture in general, um, speaking to people along the way. So you might have scientists, you might have local guides or authors interviewing them. And then we're hiking the East Highland way in Scotland. We did it in February and again, now in June to get like a visual difference of what it's like but we're really trying to dig deeper on the issues and like what is changing how is winter now compared to five years ago 20 years ago 50 years ago and speaking to people that kind of know the answers to those questions so yeah we're now editing and it will be at the film festival the premiere at kendall in, in november and then we'll go the whole kind of festival route with it but a much more poetic um environmental kind of film compared to what i've done previously that sounds fascinating. I would love to take a look at that. Uh, if there's any way, you know, you can give your favorite podcast host a, 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 an advanced preview of that, that'd be... I, w I wish we had something uh, solid to show, but we're still, we're, we're, we're in the editing room. Let's put it that way. Got it. Hey, fascinating concept, an important concept. I mean, just the, the title says it all, right? Seasons lost. It, it, the world is changing and and not for the better and so any kind of attention we can draw to this to uh, try and make a change uh is is well worth it i uh, really appreciate what you're doing out there yeah thank you yeah it's fun interesting a little bit sad sometimes but i think mm -hmm. sometimes like important things are hard you know yep yep hey pie you know where we are right now uh, i'm in helsinki you're in the u.s somewhere that's right <laughs> in the u.s somewhere yep. but in the episode mm -hmm. Hiking hacks. Oh, right. Here we go. It cool. is time for for Pi to share a hiking hack, some trail wisdom for our listeners who to make their next outdoor experience even better. So, what do you have for us, Pi? All right, I feel like I could go in a few different directions, but um, a really like personal favorite it doesn't always doesn't always kind of pan out that way. But if um, I, I always sleep with a pillow, have done since the AT, always will. You know, classic inflatable pillow. Um, worth the extra weight in my opinion but what i always would find it would do is it'll move around you know because you've got the sleeping pad the phone the inflatable sleeping pad and they, they tend to be the same move you know material so they slide around and then you know you wake up and it's you know it's not not ideal so i figured out uh if i can take an extra layer it could be a t-shirt it could be you know my puffy jacket if i'm not wearing it maybe even long johns if i'm not wearing it and pull it down over the edge of the sleeping pad. So like where my head would be, pull it down and just tuck the pillow inside there. It just doesn't move around. 
Of course, it doesn't always work out because maybe you're wearing all your layers or what have you. But if I've got an extra shirt, pull that down, put the pillow in there, it stays perfectly in place. And usually, you know, those pillows are this like plasticky kind of material. If you put a shirt over it, it's also softer on your face. Win-win. Brilliant. Win-win. Brilliant. That, uh, that is a great hiking hack right there. It works. Highly recommended. All right. So <laughs> there you have it. We are just about done here. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Pi. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Paul, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Yeah. Um, probably the first place I would turn to is just uh, Instagram. That's where I'm probably most active. So that's just at Pi on the Trail. That's like my you know main hiking uh, related page. And then if you want to check out the, the current project, which is Seasons Lost, that's at Seasons Lost Film. And then, yeah, YouTube, just Pie on the Trail on YouTube. So that's where my most recent film is and maybe the next one. I'm not sure about that. But between Instagram and YouTube, we've got it pretty much covered. All right. Hey, remember to check out Hacker Trash Radio on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at hikertrashradio at gmail.com. Off the beaten path. Now, unfortunately, Paul, we can't always be on the trail. And when we're not, we need to find a way to get our adventure fixed. So, Pi, I'm going to ask you to share some outdoor adventure media with our listeners to help them get by. This can be a book, movie, documentary. We call this segment Off the Beaten Path. And I'll already stipulate that they should check out uh, your film on YouTube. But what what else do you have? What, any, any other recommendation for some adventure media? I know I've got my bookshelf. I've got a pretty expansive bookshelf right here. Um, hmm. What comes to mind? It's actually a book that I'm going to recommend that I haven't actually read yet. My friend recommended it to me. What was it called? Let me check it. I'll, I'll, I'll check it for you. Okay. It's basically, the book is all about um, this pirate ship that sank off the coast of, I want to say, California like you know in the 1800s and then it's the journey they they have sort of logs of where that ship sank and then i think in the 80s or 90s they actually pulled up the gold and the book is this entire journey of like the the ship goes down until they recover the gold and all that was involved in that i'm a big scuba diver as well like that's one of my other big hobbies so like diving for sunken treasure like i mean haven't read it but it's on the it's on the list can't remember the name though right now (laughs) <laughs> All right, we'll put that in the show notes. We'll have to get that uh, that book, a title, and an author for cool. us. Yeah. All right. What have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up today, just one more segment for you called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? What do we miss? Mm. Favorite trail meal or meals. I think that's always interesting. Okay. Yeah. Are you a, are you a spam and ramen kind of guy? Absolutely ramen. Absolutely not spam. <laughs> like strong ramen, strong not spam. <laughs> it's awful. I hate it. It's gross. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm. Yeah, I bounce around when it comes to food. Nowadays, to shave off a little bit of extra weight because I'm already carrying that camera gear, I'm like going stoveless a lot of the time. Um, so very much looks like breakfast. Usually looks like kind of. Um, like granola with powdered milk. Powdered milk's massively underrated, especially powdered coconut milk. It's fantastic. It is out there. You got to go get that. 
Um, so it's, you know, granola with powdered milk uh, for breakfast with with coffee. I can make some coffee recommendations as well, maybe another time. Um, and then couscous with raisins and chili peanuts for dinner. Easy, simple, delicious. Wow, that sounds good. Now, how do you do coffee without having a stove? Cold coffee. Cold, cold brew, huh? Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if it, I mean, of course, like, depends on the trip. Like, I will carry a stove if it's actually cold, but cold coffee, I'm fine with it. I drink it every day. I've got cold brew sitting in my fridge right now. <laughs> All right. Hey, we are finished. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Paul. We want to wish you the very best in your future adventures and in your, your film editing. Can't wait to see how Seasons Lost comes out. And we hope you'll consider coming back at some point and sharing some more epic stories with us. 100%. Yeah, this was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. As we close up today, do you have any shout outs to friends and family, Pi? Just always going to be shouting out to Cheesebeard. I'm not sure if he ever is going to be listening to that, but yeah, he's just OG trail family and we've got lots of other stuff planned together, I'm sure. So yeah, hey Cheesebeard, what's up dude? Big shout out to Cheesebeard. All right. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.